following audio is from Covenant Life Fellowship. And for, for more information about our church and to stay up to date on all sermons, events, and news, please visit our website at www.clfroseburg.com. If you would, open your Bibles with me to the fourth chapter of Acts, verses 23 through 31. And the thought I pray to leave with us today is this. You see it under your, on your outline of the big idea that prayer was vital for the early church. And it should be vital for us. So let us look at God's Word. Acts 4, verses 23 through 31. If you'd stand with me as I read God's Word, the Holy Scriptures. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priest and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted up their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why do the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. Do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats. And grant to your servants to continue to speak the word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal. And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Father, we're just thankful for your precious word, and I pray, Lord, you might speak to our hearts today. Lord, we might hear you as our prayer, not man. And uh, Lord, may you be glorified in all that we do, for we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. May be seated, please. The background for our passage this morning is in chapter 3, verse 1, all the way through verse through chapter 4, verse 22. Peter and John were going to the temple in Jerusalem for a time of prayer. On the way, they encountered a lame man, a man that was lame from his birth, never had walked. And the man was by one of the gates entering the temple precincts begging, begging alms. Well, the man was healed in the name of Jesus and by his great power. And this caused quite a stir. For verse 8 tells us that the man now able to walk was walking, leaping, praising God. Now you may be sure that his praising God was not in some soft whisper. I mean, he was excited, as you can well guess. And so, uh, and as he went, verse 11 tells us he was hanging on to Peter and John. Well, people there in the temple area recognized the man as being the lame man that was regularly by the gate. Now they saw him walking, leaping, hurting, praising God, and they were amazed, the scripture tells us. 
So they all ran together to see what was happening. And Peter used this occasion to preach to them the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus crucified, risen, and glorified. Now, the religious leaders of that day hated the preaching of the Lord Jesus. And so they had Peter and John arrested. They spent the night in jail. Religious leaders were not able to do all that they wanted to to those two apostles because of the crowd and the miracle that was done. But nonetheless, they told them, they threatened them. They said, don't speak to anybody in the name of Jesus. Do not teach, do not preach anymore in the name of Jesus or else. And then they released them. Well, Peter and John returned to a gathered group of believers and there reported everything that had happened and the threats. And everybody knew that those threats were not idle threats. The religious leaders meant every word that they said. This was a very serious situation for the church, a crisis time. We take note of their response to this very serious situation. The very first thing they did, as verse 24 tells us, they lifted their voices to God. In other words, they prayed. Before they made any plans, before they evaluated resources, before they um, consulted anyone else about what they do, formed a strategy, before they did anything else, though those things might be good and might be needed for sure, but the very first thing they did was look to God and call on Him in prayer. One of the great failures of the church today, the churches in this world today, is that prayer is not our first response to crisis. We'll form a committee, we'll hire a consultant, we'll do all kinds of things before we ever turn to God in prayer. That's not what this early church did, for sure. And as we look at their prayer, which is found in verses 24 through 30, the first thing that catches our eye is that their petitions, their requests, come not at the beginning of their prayer, but at the end. Now, certainly there are occasions when your prayer request will be first. We think of David in Psalm 51 when he says, Lord, have mercy on me according to your loving kindness. Uh, Petition the very first thing, followed by numerous other petitions. But that's not what they did. Their petitions were not the first thing that was uh, in their minds. They began, as you'll note, by setting their focus upon God. They filled their minds with the God to whom they were praying. And then having done that as best they could, then they came to the petitions that they desired of God. So they begin their prayers, verse 24 tells us, by addressing God as the Sovereign Lord. In the Greek language of which Luke wrote this passage, it is one singular word, the word despota. We get our word despot from that word, but there's no negative connotations. The word just means somebody that has absolute authority. And they're saying, that's who you are. You are the one with absolute authority. And so we don't come to God bringing demands For we are the lowly servants. We come bringing humble requests to the Lord. 
In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, this very same word is translated master. In a very accurate translation, I think, because that's who he is. He's the master. He's the Lord. I had a dear friend. Uh, he's with the Lord now. He was a great man of prayer, and I love to pray with him. But uh, I was always caught by surprise because often during his prayers, he referred to the Lord as the master. He would be praising the master. And I, because I don't regularly do that. But my, that is certainly a good biblical way to pray. And then they recognize God as the God of creation. You'll notice that also in verse 24. You're the one who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Now God is the great, is the uncaused cause of all things. He is eternal. He's uncreated. But everything else in this universe is created and it is created by Him. He made everything. He made the very smallest things. Every atom, every electron, neutron, proton, and if there's anything smaller uh, in the atomic rim than that, He made that too. He made, he made everything. He made the very largest of things. Um, you might be familiar with the constellation Orion. Most of us are because it's easy to recognize. Now, you won't be able to see it tonight because it's a winter constellation. But uh, nonetheless, it's most recognized by the three stars um, that are there to get forming the belt. Orion is the hunter. So you generally see those three stars, and you know you're looking at the constellation Orion. But if you go to the left-hand side of his belt, those three stars, and go up, you'll see a fairly bright star. It's called Betelgeuse, a name I always thought was interesting enough. But it's an Arabic word, and it means armpit. Uh, because Orion is a hunter and he has up his arm raising, holding the club. So if you go up from there, that's where that star is located in this particular constellation. Now it's not particularly bright uh, because it's so far away, but it's big. And unless you have access to some very, very powerful telescopes, it's going to be the biggest thing you've ever seen. Because if you were to take that particular star and put it in place of our sun, it would blot out Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, and Jupiter. It's big. But it's not the biggest thing in the universe, as far as our scientists know. And how whatever else is there, and however big, God made that too. He's created all of it. By His great power and outstretched arm, as Jeremiah 32, 17 tells us, Ah, oh, Lord God, behold, Thou made the heavens and the earth by Thy great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for You. So this is who the God they were praying to, the God of great power. And He's also a God of great wisdom. For this is a very complicated universe in which we live. The earth sits and turns on an axis. And I don't understand how that works in traveling through space. And well, just look at the human body, how complex it is. Yet all of it works together to make us function and live. And, and God made all that and understands all that and put it all together. And everything in this universe so that it functions correctly. Not only is he a God of wisdom, he's a God of great knowledge. In other words, he knows things. He knows everything. Uh, this week, thought I'd look up uh, how many stars are there. Uh, and I couldn't really get a very good answer because the numbers were all over the, all over the place. But they always involved billions of trillions. 
And one, uh, well, in fact, a couple said it's a septillion. That's how many there are approximately. Uh, that means, no, I didn't know what that was, but it's a one followed by 24 zeros. And um, in other words, there's a lot. There's just a lot of stars. And, um, and But one that helped me better said, you take a grain of sand. In other words, go to the beach at Bandon. Pick up one grain of sand. Look at it. Then you take, then you think about all those grains of sand on the abandoned beach. Just think of that. And not only take the abandoned beach, but go to Gold, uh, to Gold Beach and Coos Bay. Well, in fact, take every beach on the planet Earth. Every beach. And think of all those grains of sand. Individual grains. You take, that's how many stars there are approximately in the heavens. That is a lot of stars. A lot of stars. And most scientists think, yeah, and there's a lot more than that. We just don't know about them. In Psalm 107, uh, verse 4 says, he, he counts the numbers of the stars. He knows them all by name. Well, our scientists have no real idea because you can't possibly count that many God knows exactly how many stars there are in this universe. And he put them all in their place and he makes them to shine until he's finished with them and then they go out. And what else does man mean? He calls them all by name. And not only that, he's a God, God, great God of variety. In my homeland of Texas... Uh, there are over 30 species of sparrows. Now, some have little striped tummies, and some don't. Some have little white patches on them, little bars on their wings called wing bars, and some don't. Some have whites around their face. Some have little yellow places. Others don't. Some have little rufous covers of heads. Others don't. There's one that has a, he has a plain tummy, but a little black spot in the middle called a stick pen. None of the others have it. But the question is, why so many? We've got other birds. We've got robins and crows and uh, why so many sparrows? Wouldn't one or two type be plenty? Well, it's because God was pleased to make so many. Did he do it for our pleasure that we might enjoy them? Or did he do it for his pleasure because he wanted to do so? But nonetheless, we gather that the God we pray to is a God of great variety. He's the creator of all these things, and it is to him that we pray. Now, he's also a God of revelation. You see this in verses 25 and 26. God has chosen to reveal himself, and we're so thankful that he did. He has revealed himself in creation, as our pastor mentioned not uh, too many Sundays ago, that as we look at the world around us, we can deduce that there is a true and living God and, the, and some of his great attributes like power and wisdom that I've just mentioned. He also revealed himself in the prophets of old, how they came and said, Thus saith the Lord, and from that you uh, people learn of God's, some of God's nature and his character and his great acts and his will and his purposes. 
And then God revealed himself ultimately in his, the sending of his dear son, the Lord Jesus Christ, God come in the flesh, and of the apostolic witness that followed. And we have this recorded in Holy Scripture for us. And you will, just, you will notice there in verse 25, if you would look at it, it says, who, now that who is God, who, through the mouth of our fathers David, your servant, said, it was God that said. Now, David was the human instrument. He was inspired by the Holy Spirit when he wrote. But the ultimate speaker is God. So that when, and what we have following is Psalm 2, a part of Holy Scripture. When Holy Scripture speaks, it is God who said. That's why we preach the Bible here. We believe it is God's Word, and in it God speaks and God says. And uh, even in the preaching of the Word, that's why we preach the Word, that even in that, God would speak, and He would speak to you. Not only is He a God of revelation, but He's a God of history. Verses 27 and 28. Not only did God make the Word and set it in place and sustains it so that it exists up to this very moment, but God also is at work in His world. He's active in this world, uh, carrying out His own purposes. Uh, for his own glory and for the good of his people. Now, this is not to say everything in this world that happens is good. It's not. But God is working in every situation, bad or good, no matter what it might be, to carry out his divine purposes. The crucifixion of the Lord Jesus, the example that is given here, uh, is a good example of that. Um, we see that and their names are listed, some of their names listed, Herod, Pontius Pilate, the Romans, the Jews. They determined to kill the Lord Jesus Christ. They plotted to put him to death. It was, And they carried out their purposes. It was a decision that they made. And they are responsible for what they did. And it was a very evil crime. But yet in the end of things, God's purposes were enacted. It is what God had determined that was to be done, and for our, and a Savior was brought forth that we might find forgiveness of our sins by Him who bore our, our sins in His body on the tree and be made right with God. What a marvelous thing. And I would say to you today that God is at work in your circumstances. And He's at work for good. To conform you to the image of His dear Son and to bring Himself glory. God is not at work for our happiness, but for our holiness, which is our ultimate good. And so he's wherever you at, whatever's happening in your life, God is at work there for good. He is active in his world. Well, <clears throat> we finally come to the church's request that were made. And you'll find them in verses 29 and 30. There are three just briefly mention them. It says, Lord, look on their threats. That's the first request. Second request, grant to your servants to continue to speak the word with all boldness. That's interesting. Didn't pray for safety. Didn't pray judgment on their enemies. Those are legitimate biblical requests to be sure, but that's not what they did. They prayed for boldness. And then that God would validate their witness by mighty works of power. Well, what happened? Verse 31. 
And when they had prayed, the place where they were gathered was shaken. Wouldn't you like to have been in that prayer meeting? Uh, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit of God and went out and spoke the Word of God with great boldness. And if you continue to read the book of Acts, you'll find that God indeed did validate their witness by great and mighty works. In other words, God answered their prayer. Now, in conclusion, I'd like to make just a few statements about prayer. What what I'll be saying is certainly not exhaustive. You could add much more to it, I know. But these are just a few things. Number one, prayer is talking to God. When you pray, you talk to God. Now, that's going to be, I'm sure, one of the most amazing statements that you can imagine. Because here you are, here I am, just a tiny dot of all the billions of people on this earth that you are. And if you were to take the whole universe, why we would hardly be, uh, could find ourselves sinful and vile and wicked as we are, yet through the Lord Jesus Christ, we can talk to the God of the universe, the eternal one, the holy God of Israel. We can go in and talk to him and pour out our hearts, uh, bringing our burdens and our cares and our praises and our thanksgiving. We can talk to the God of the universe. Isn't that an amazing, an amazing thing? A number of years ago, I was in London, England. Uh, I wasn't there to stay, just passing through as a mission endeavors on the way to Africa, as a matter of fact. But uh, um, we had a 24-hour layover in London. Um, and some of those who were with me said, well, we got plenty of time. Let's go downtown. And I, of course, I would not have had a clue how to get there or anything else about it, but I was with them, and so I said, let's go. So we got on this train, and away we went. And uh, went downtown London, got off at Victoria Station, and since uh, uh, there's several in our group who knew what, what it was about, they said, we're close to Buckingham Palace. Let's go there first. So that's great because I wanted to go there. Um, so when we arrived, uh, I was greatly disappointed because Buckingham Palace was surrounded by a wrought iron fence that was probably 10 to 12 foot tall, and the gate was locked. Well, I peered through the bars, and I looked, and there by the front door were two guards with their red coats and their fuzzy hats, and they both had rifles. And it became pretty evident that you weren't supposed to be going in there. And so I waited and waited and waited, and no one came out and said, Mr. Wells, the queen would like you to come in and have tea. No, it never happened. And I was, but that's okay. Because I can go into the presence of that one to whom every king and queen in this universe will bow their knee. I can go in any time, day or night. I can share my heart and bring my burdens and cares and requests and praises unto Him. What a privilege and an honor a Christian has that we can pray. Secondly, prayer expresses our dependence upon God. I mentioned that already, so I won't say any more. That's one thing it does. Number three, prayer involves us in the activities of God. 
Now, God does not need us to accomplish his purpose. He doesn't need us. He can get along very well without us. He, but he has chosen to use his people in his work. And he uses us in a variety of ways. But one of the ways that God has chosen to use his people is prayer. We pray because God has ordained prayer and has determined that he will answer prayer. We pray. God answers and does the activity. He gets the glory because he's the one who did it. But yet we are involved. And so you may be uh, shut up in a room and can't get out. You may be bedfast, all kinds of... uh, You may be too weak and frail. But you can be involved in the great activities of God in this earth. You can be involved in a pastor's seminary in uh, Ethiopia. Never go there by means of prayer. And whatever's, it's a great, prayer is not a secondary thing. Prayer is of vital importance. And you can be greatly involved in what God is doing in this world by means of prayer. Then finally, prayer gives us a Godward focus. Because when you pray, where is your focus? It's, it's on God. It certainly should be. That brings me then to Matthew chapter 21, verse 13, where Jesus says, speaking of the temple in Jerusalem, my house shall be called a house of prayer. In other words, in that temple was be a place of the activities that went on. They should focus people's attention on God. And one of the things that were going to do that was that it was a a place for prayer. Focus their attention there. And when that place became a place of commerce... Instead of having a God focus, then Jesus became very angry. It's to be a place of prayer. Well, we don't have a temple today. But in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 3, verse 16, Jesus said, speaking to the church in that account, you are the temple of God. In other words, God manifests his presence in the midst of his people. And I don't think he's changed his mind. We are to be a house of prayer. A place where prayer is practiced. And where prayer is valued. And a a place where prayer is so much a part that we become so God-focused that it becomes an atmosphere and aroma of our church and people coming to our gatherings. And I think, what is this? What is this? Well, it's just a heart focused upon God. A people focused upon God. And then, of course, obviously, you're not going to have a house of prayer. And we, and I'm thankful, let me just say that, I'm thankful we have a church that values prayer. Counts prayer as being important. Our leaders are people of prayer. It makes me thankful. But obviously, there's more we can do in this realm of prayer to make this church a house of prayer and have a, a fragrance of godness about it. But you're not going to have a house of prayer for a church because a church, unless you have individuals of prayer, because this church is what? Made up of individuals. <clears throat> and 1 Corinthians 6, <clears throat> on the other hand, in that case, speaking to individuals, saying, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. In other words, God lives in you. You're the temple. And therefore, we should be houses of prayer. Our person, ourselves. And so, 
I would ask you the question, are you a person of prayer? I think we can say clear enough that is God's will for you, but are you? And the way you can get an accurate evaluation of that question is look at your actions. For by your actions, you'll be able to tell whether you, if you'll be honest with yourself, whether you really are a person of prayer or whether you are not. In Romans 10, 9 and 10, the Apostle Paul speaks there about becoming a Christian. It's a very wonderful passage. And he talks about that if you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, Lord Jesus, you, you'll be saved. And saved by that he means saved from God's righteous judgments that falls upon sinners, of which we all are, but you can be saved from that judgment. And you can be brought into a right relationship with God in order to be saved. <clears throat> and that comes by faith, putting your trust in your dependence and casting yourself upon the Lord Jesus and His work on the cross and believing all the Bible said about Him. Roman, but verse 13 of that chapter says, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now we're not saved by praying, we're saved by faith. But true, genuine faith in Christ flows naturally and immediately into prayer and calling on the name of the Lord to save you. Could I share with you just a very personal experience, if I might? I was just uh, a boy, a young boy, uh, wicked and vile little sinners, as most boys are, and uh, I was certainly in that class. And uh, But I fell, even at that young age, I fell under great conviction of sin. And out there in the sands of West Texas, I took a stick and I drew a line in the, in the sand. And I imagined in my mind all the saved people on one side of that line and all the lost people on the other side. And I was on the lost side. And I walked up and down that line and I couldn't get over to the safe side. But that night, I got down on my knees by my bed. And as best I knew how at that young age, putting my faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. I cried out to the Lord. I called on the Lord. I said very simply, Lord, save me. And you know what happened? He did. And that's been some 70 years ago. And He still was holding me fast. And do you know? And there's... I don't doubt there's some here in this place this morning. You've been thinking about this thing about being a Christian and wondering, and you do need to make sure as best you can. The Bible says that whosoever is a very big word. And if you, in simple faith, willing to turn from your old way and turn to the Lord Jesus and cast your life on Him, if this morning you will call on the name of the Lord. He will save you, just like He promised. I have a friend, I had a friend, he always would tell me this, I think, you can make of it what you will, 
I think he told it to me because I was a preacher. He said, when you sing, you get what singing gives. When you preach, you get what preaching gives. But when you pray, you get what God gives. I don't know about all that, but I know when you pray, you get what God gives. I do know that part of it. And so I think probably this morning the best thing we can do, the most appropriate thing we can do is just take a minute to pray. So I'm going to ask you to just join with me and just bow your hearts right there where you're sitting. We take just a few moments together to pray to the Lord. And if you're one of those that are still searching and wondering about your relationship with the Lord Jesus, won't you be right now where you are? Won't you call on the name of the Lord? I invite you to do that. There may be, no doubt there are, Many of us here with burdens and cares and needs and pressures and concerns weighing down our heart. Won't you take a moment now to bring those before the Lord? He says, cast your cares upon me for I care for you. Just take those to the Lord right now. There may be some of you today with sins to confess for. Well, Christian, you may be. We we know we sin and we need to confess our sins. Psalm 86, it so wonderfully tells us that, says, For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all who call upon you. You take those sins and burdens right now, those sins to the Lord, confess them, and you will find He's ready to forgive and great in mercy. You can find that peace that comes from forgiveness. Won't you do that right now? And every one of us in this place have things to be thankful for. So I'm going to invite you to take just a moment now. Give thanks to God. May He recall some blessing in your heart. Just lift up thanks unto Him. And our great God, we are so thankful for the privilege of prayer. That we can come and call upon you. We have access through the Lord Jesus. Lord, we can be involved in your work by prayer. Lord, we can, we can commune with you and fellowship with you. Oh Lord, may you stir our hearts, we pray, as only you can do. And may in all this you be lifted up and glorified is our prayer. For we pray it in Jesus' name. This sermon has been proudly given in response to cherishing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel and subscribe to watch all our sermons online. For more information about Covenant Life Fellowship, visit us on the web at www.clfroseburg.com.